0: And that gospel lesson comes according to the one offered by St. John. It is in the 15th chapter, and it too begins at the first verse. There we find Jesus telling us, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you abide in me as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Grace to you all in peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Since we celebrated the resurrection of our Lord, or Easter if you prefer, that just six weeks ago, we've had five Sundays in which we've considered the ancient writings in the Bible's book called Nehemiah. Pastors Watts and Strawn have led us through the account of what the people of Israel had to endure had to endure, that is, after they returned back to Jerusalem following their exile in Persia. In the book of Nehemiah thus far, we've been told about the Israelites' return home, of course, but also about their rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem that had been demolished all those many years ago when they were taken into exile. And we heard about their having to deal with the opposition that was put up by their neighbors called the Samaritans and the allies to the Sumerians. We heard about them putting aside their own tendencies to, quite frankly, abuse one another, and they did so with unscrupulous loans and unfair charging of interest. And then we heard about providing for all those who were still in need, and they did so without raising taxes to move money from one family to another. And then, finally they still had to deal with relocating the many Israelites that had been scattered everywhere during the time of the exile and bringing them all home. Through it all, the people of Israel had found ways to come together despite what apparently were many disagreements. They allowed their God-given talents, which had been distributed throughout their population, to be used to the utmost, each providing their own expertise. And they came to trust. They came to trust in the Lord's protection whenever they felt threatened. Does any of that sound familiar? You know, in our time, do we have human fears and challenges that sound sort of like those? Granted, we're not building stone walls around cities anymore, but so much of that rings a bell with me. And and that's why... I have to admit, one of my earliest memories in ministry bubbled up this week as I considered this passage from Nehemiah. Allow me to share my memory. When I arrived at my first call in ministry, it was the summer of 2005. And when I got there, it turns out, there was a considerable ongoing fuss and, and a lot of angst in people's hearts that just tore at the members of that congregation. They didn't tell me about that before I got there, but that's what I found the day I walked in. Now, to be fair, they hadn't been forced into exile like the ancient Israelites. But the challenge which confronted those good people was causing them great concern and, quite frankly, causing some division among them as well. They had considerable disagreement about how things ought to be done or even if things ought to be done. Let me explain. For five years, five whole years, they had debated the possibility, just the possibility, of installing a projector and a screen. Five years. That was to go up in their sanctuary to support what some people envisioned worship to be like in the year 2005 and beyond. Now, again, their their challenge wasn't as large as rebuilding great protective walls and gates around a capital city, nor was the task set before my first congregation as large as rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. That That was the challenge in Nehemiah's time. Still, for those folks, coming to a single mind among the congregation's members just seemed to be absolutely impossible. And that is why they had debated the issue for five years before the day I arrived. As I was carrying my boxes of reference books into my office on my first day, my soon-to-be secretary walked up to me and said, just want you to know, they're going to vote on that projector in two months. Oh boy. And ouch. Well, I got my books unloaded and it was probably my second or third Sunday in that congregation, and we were between services. And that congregation's actual founding member, the man, a dear man, truly, he had, he had gone to the trouble on five, five seems to be the number for this congregation, five consecutive Reformation Sundays. He had written letters to the Lutheran denomination begging them to put a new congregation in that town please, every single year. And he didn't stop there. He joined his family with a handful of other families, and they held worship in his home for all of those five years, every Sunday in a sort of do-it-yourself fashion. Anyway, that very man, the man who had started that congregation several decades before I arrived, he approached me between those services, and he asked me what I thought, what I thought about what he described as that infernal idea of a projection system being erected in his precious church, he proceeded to tell me the history of that sacred worship space where I was learning to preside. When the sainted founding pastor had contributed his design thoughts at the time of that that building's construction, he insisted that the wall behind the altar and behind the pulpit had to be a plain, blank red brick wall. Plain blank. No decoration, no adornment whatsoever. Well, the founder wanted to hang hymn boards on that wall. You remember hymn boards. Some of you do anyway. Those were these boards that had the numbers of the hymns that we were going to sing that day, and uh, people could pick up the hymnal and find the words to the songs that were about to be sung, and That was helpful in the days before we had bulletins of any kind, electronic or printed, and we could keep up with how the service flowed. Anyway, my first predecessor in that church told the founder, no, you may not have hymn boards on that wall, because the brick wall, that blank brick wall, was to communicate the still, small voice of God. And that voice of the Lord, said my predecessor, should not be drowned out by any decoration, even hymn boards. So after, after recounting all of this, the founder asked me, if the hymn boards I proposed all those years ago were inappropriate, how can a great big screen with projected images possibly be allowed? Pastor. At that point in my very young career, three whole weeks out of seminary, I said something I, regret, I have regretted every day since. I told that dear man that if the congregation approved the projection system it would be possible to project hymn boards onto the wall. The, he didn't laugh. There was, there was this extended silence as the two of us stared at each other after my foolish comment. Chuckle as we might Each of us might think to ourselves that something like that would never happen here at Faith, would it? Never! We'd never suffer from anxiety like that at a time when we were about to make changes to our sacred space or construct or reconstruct a part of our church building. Right? Really? (laughs) Of course, I haven't been here all that long. And I wasn't here when this building needed extensive roof work a few years ago. Nor was I here when we had to wrestle with the significant financial challenges that had to be dealt with in order to accomplish that daunting task. But I've heard stories. I've heard stories about that time. Perhaps some of you said a few things you wish you hadn't, sort of like those things I said so long ago in another place. Here we find ourselves in the 6th week of our series in the book of Nehemiah. Let's with that in mind consider a few other examples which are even closer to the situation described in the Bible's book which bears Nehemiah's name. Not so long ago, if you remember, seems maybe like a lifetime in the past but it really was like yesterday. We were all in in a time that was somewhat like being in an exile. For us, it was simply called the pandemic. You remember, we were prevented from gathering in large groups. We were even specifically forbidden to gather in worship or to raise our voices together in song. We stayed apart. We were absent from one another. We were cloistered in our homes rather than congregating in God's house during that time just so happened some building improvement projects were undertaken here at faith lutheran church new carpets were installed remember that hmm. do you think there might have been some angst about the color or pattern of the new carpet you know as it was being laid down while and at the same time we were all in lockdown in our homes do you think two other projects also Uh, occurred among us during that virus-induced exile. And those two projects included a brand new uh, sound system, of which I'm taking advantage right now, and a beautiful new organ, which sits to your right. Those changes didn't include screens and projectors, grant you, but they certainly did cause worry in the hearts of some, and to use the Bible's words, caused the gnashing of teeth among a few. By the grace of God, and only by the grace of God, I was honored to continue as pastor of my first congregation for more than four years after the great projection controversy. And by the same font of divine grace, we in this room, we in this congregation have prospered at faith under God's word, following our roof and our carpet and our sound system and our organ upgrades. Both congregations, to this day, continue to gather together to worship the Lord's loving providence in their lives. And we celebrate that. We have overcome the obstacles and the differences among us. And you know, that's what the Israelites in the time of Nehemiah did as well. In fact, despite all the challenges of rebuilding Jerusalem and the temple, their numbers swelled to such a great number... That when they came together in a great congregation, they couldn't fit in the brand new temple. So, on a day of great celebration, they gathered in a wide outdoor space. They gathered in a big plaza near the Jerusalem's water gate. And there and then, everyone was present. Did you notice? It was the men and the women and the children. Nobody was left out. The people came together as one, and the people made a demand. They demanded that their priest, whose name was Ezra, read from the book of law, of the law. And that book of the law is what modern Jews would call the Torah. It's what we Christians now understand to be the first five books of the Old Testament. There in that plaza near the water gate, the people stood they stood there to hear for at least five or six hours. They were there from the rising of the sun until noontime. The people stood there and paid rapt attention to what the priest read to them. Every ear was turned toward that high platform, which was constructed specifically for that day. And the people loved what they heard, and they were glad that their demand for God's word had been fulfilled by their priest. Keep in mind, these were the same Israelites who had recently returned from exile. These are the same folks who did all that construction work on Jerusalem's protective wall and resurrected the temple. And these were, again, the very same people who had suffered one, suffered one another's insults as they dealt with all of those projects and problems and threats. They had worked hard, and they had overcome countless obstacles. The work the Israelites had done to build back their city and their new place of worship had been remarkably successful to that point. But I don't think it was the experience of all those construction projects which brought the people together on that day in the plaza near the water gate. My wager is that there were some people among them who thought that the temple should have been built larger in the first place, so they could all fit. And there were some who probably thought something like, you know those brand new gates? They should have been painted a different color. My money is on those sorts of attitudes because that's the way people are. That's the way they were back then. That's the way they are now. People are people. But, I think the reason all the people, men, women, and children, gathered in that plaza that day and demanded to hear the word of God read for them for as long as perhaps six consecutive hours is that they had come to a singular, common understanding. They understood that all that they had been building, their capital city, the temple, their families, every bit of it, all of it would be without any lasting value unless they had God's word acting as a foundation for absolutely everything else. Their long exile in Persia, Persia had taught them some valuable lessons. Principle among them, stuff is just stuff. And stuff will crumble to dust in due course. There is no advantage to be gained by arguing how many stones high the city wall ought to be nor about the color of the walls in our centrum. But the ancients came to understand that when lives are built upon God's word, permanence can be realized. Jesus taught us this same truth in the record of the New Testament. When he speaks to us in the 15th chapter of John's Gospel about his identity as the vine, he's telling us to be connected to him. If we are to have permanence, that is, eternal life and that's because Jesus is divine and Christ is the word of God made flesh when we are connected to him our lives become complete and they become consequential when we are connected to the Lord the living word all those things which we build in our lives are put in their proper place because they are built on the strongest possible foundation When we are connected to our Lord, the living word, all of our anxiety and angst about the things or the way we think things ought to be are given over to Christ's loving way. When we are connected to him, we are made free to live our lives rather than to be enslaved by our all too human anxieties and fears. Brother Luther, 500 years ago, summed up Jesus' truth in an eloquent fashion, although bluntly. He taught that we ought not be unduly concerned with what he called adiaphora, a strange word to our ears. Adiaphora, he said, are those things that are not necessary for our salvation. So what is necessary for that salvation? For Luther, he gave us the blunt truth. What's necessary for our salvation is the Word of God. And that Word of God is Christ Jesus, the one unto whom our lives, our families, our churches, and even those things which have become our adiaphora, all those things are faithfully connected to Him. All of what we have considered this morning springs from the very first couple of verses from Nehemiah's 8th chapter. For balance on this day, I call your attention to the 8th and final verse from today's reading. And it's been a while since Nancy read it, so I'll repeat it. It said, So Ezra and the Levites read from the book from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. What we find in this brief verse is an early description of of faithful preaching and teaching. That's what interpretation is all about. Now, I can't say with certainty how much of that five or six hours when the people stood in that plaza was spent hearing preaching, you know, as they baked in the sun. And then Ezra mm, said something to help explain it to the people. And he was assisted by the Levites that day, but how long did they go on If I had to guess, that portion of what was heard from that high wooden platform that was constructed for that day was probably not more than about 20 minutes long. I know, I know, time limits like that are adiaphora. I get it, right? But I bring up that guess, about 20-minute time limit, because early in my time in that first congregation back in 2005, I had another unfortunate conversation about how long sermons and worship services ought to be. But that's a story for another day because my 20-minute time limit has just expired. (laughs) Amen.